Hey, St. Paul, welcome to episode 10 on our study of Richard Foster's The Celebration of Discipline. We have made it through the inward disciplines, the outward disciplines, and we're starting this week on our first corporate discipline, and that is the discipline of confession. What amazes me, Tommy, and thank you once again for joining us. I'm so glad that uh, you're on this journey with me. Well, thank you, John. It's, it's quite a journey. It is quite a journey. There have been some uh, pit stops and some potholes in the road, but uh, we have navigated those, I think, quite well. <laughs> yes. So one of the things about this discipline of confession, being labeled a corporate discipline, it doesn't seem very corporate when it comes to um, this discipline. And when Richard Foster talks about the corporate disciplines, it's those disciplines that we do in the corporate body, the body of Christ, the church. All right. And so how do we reconcile um, the idea that the discipline of confession is a corporate discipline? John, I think it's a combination of, of both a inner confession or cleaning our hearts, as Psalm 51 tells us to do. But it's also making amends to those that we have hurt in the body of Christ, our Christian brothers and sisters. There's no doubt that our sins have a ripple effect. They go far beyond just affecting us. They could affect our children, our spouses, our neighbors, and our long-lost friends. So that's why I think that Richard calls it a corporate discipline, because if we don't reconcile those differences between our community of faith, then how can we proceed uh, in emulating Christ in our lives? We live, Tommy, in a broken world. It's hard to wrap your heart and mind around um, the aspect or the predicate of sin as breaking relationships. But that's exactly what it does. I mean, we, our world shies away from sin. We, we want a truth to be truth for a person and we'll look from a distance and we're told to say well if they believe that that's true or that that's right then it's right right everybody has their own truth and we shy away from that moral law that's given from god that there are some rights and wrongs there are some areas that are not gray that are that are sin those things that in the old testament calls a trespass god has drawn a line in the sand and says you stay there do not cross this line Or in the New Testament, incidentally, the New Testament has 33 words for sin. But the one that is most famous is to miss the mark as you shoot Mm -hmm. an arrow and you miss the target completely. But there's there's teaching throughout the scripture and in church history that uh, certain things are not appropriate or that are against God's law. They're not only just sins against a person and God— it affects the corporate world, the community, as you say. And there's broken relationships, and there's offenses. We just live in this broken world, Tommy, right? Right. And the interesting factor is that Richard points out that God is so interested in our well-being. He has promised us an abundant life throughout Scripture, and we go back through the Old Testament, the New Testament, and we see time and time and time again that God, through either the prophets or through Jesus or the disciples, is 
you have to make yourself right. You have to cleanse yourself of these sins. And God not only forgives, but he forgets it. And that's the beauty of the love of God. He's not some big bad judge up there that's ready to let the hammer down on us because we violated one of his laws. But he does not like sin. That is absolute. He, do, he hates sin. So as Christians, it's our responsibility to come to the table in confession. I love what Foster says. Be specific with your sin and acknowledge that sin and ask for forgiveness because that's the only way that we're going to have freedom from the bondage that that sin has on us. And the longer we push it down, the harder it will be when it comes out because it will come out sooner or later. You know, Foster's writing to the Christian body and, um, and certainly the confession of that sin or um, being specific, as you say, about the sin uh, is not just our uh, prayer time in our closet that we do with God. I mean, that's important. But if we have offended somebody or have caused someone uh, pain or hurt someone in, in so many number of ways that that could have been done or is done and continues to be done, to say, would you forgive me for everything I've done is a little less potent than would you forgive me for saying this about you? If there's a lesson for me in this, I think, I think people gravitate towards being very mystical about confessing sin. We want to be, we want to throw a broad net. We want to be as general as possible. Like we go to bed at night asking God to forgive us of our sin, and we say, okay, God, forgive me for everything I did bad today. In Jesus' name, amen. And we go to sleep. And and yes, I believe that God forgives us for that, but what, what we miss is the transformation, that transformational process that these disciplines, as Foster says, is supposed to spur us into, to change who we are, to become more Christ-like, to give us freedom from that bondage. I think there is something about being very specific of your sin that restores those relationships. If you think about the Lord's Prayer, part of the Lord's Prayer is about uh, forgiving others. And one of the things that is, is said in that Lord's Prayer is, forgive us of our sins or our debts or our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. Now, that is not that forgiveness that comes through justification, like brings us in entrance, like we pray and we ask at the time that we want to become a Christian, Lord, we want you to be our Lord. I invite you into my heart because these people were disciples already that Jesus is teaching them to. And what I think Jesus is alluding to and, and actually uh, pointing his disciples to, and it's preserved for us today to learn, is that there's this continual discipline of confession that restores relationships, or at least as far as it concerns us, it opens the gate and makes it possible that relationships can be restored. If someone uh, offends me, every time I see that person, or I do this to somebody else, which is more often than not, every time they see me, they're, they're why hasn't he asked for forgiveness? Why hasn't he admitted that he has hurt me? So there's a broken relationship. So people get standoffish and guess what? When we do this in our Christian walk, the same thing happens 
with uh, our relationship. It's not like God has left us or God is distant. It's that that relationship, there's that barrier that we have to get across. We have to uh, break down before that relationship is restored. It's so very important, not just for the personal relationship with God, but the corporate relationship of believers, the body of Christ. Exactly, John. And you know, Foster mentions this in his first entrance to the chapter from uh, Augustine. The confession of evil works is the beginning of good works. And I think it really matters how we approach God in the action of asking for forgiveness. We go back to Psalms 51, which is a wonderful psalm that I think everybody would benefit from reading that. And obviously it's about Nathan confronting David about his sins with Bathsheba. So we ask ourselves, well, okay, well, David committed this sin and he had Bathsheba's husband killed because he's covering up this sin. So Nathan nailed him and said, you committed this sin. David came humbly before God, and that's what we must do. We have to get rid of the pride about that. And as you mentioned early, the masking of our sins, the covering up, or more than not blaming somebody else, either blaming our parents or blaming someone else because this happened to us, we have to take that responsibility ourselves. And that's when we come before God in a humble nature. He doesn't want sacrifices. He wants us to come with a clean heart. He wants to be able to transform that heart from the wickedness that was into a clean heart. And that's a wonderful uh, psalm to read as far as forgiveness and humbly coming before God. There's something so powerful about what you just said there, that the forgiveness that God gives us, I mean, it's like God does not forgive us because he's angry. It's motivated by love. So could you say then, if you lack love for someone else, then it's more difficult to forgive? Yes. So love becomes that predicate. It is. It's the foundation. If you don't forgive somebody, maybe you need to reexamine your love for that person and with your relationship with God. We spoke about this in one of the earlier disciplines love thy neighbor as thyself. And that's just not just our next door neighbor. That's the body of Christ. That's our Christian brothers and sisters and the ones that are not Christians. That's what Christ did. He didn't have a pecking order just because I'm at a certain status in life that I'm absolved from not confessing or making things right with somebody that may not be at that status. So I think we have to come clean before the redemptive process can take place. How isolated people feel because of the lack of forgiveness and the lack of asking for forgiveness. That We build these barriers around us and we become more and more and more isolated and lonely and uh, the feelings of being imprisoned. You know, we talked about uh, the discipline of solitude and how we are so petrified to be alone. I think we're petrified to confess. I mean, just to confess something, I mean, that is, that's a very, that, that pushes against on somebody's pride, the sure. macho-ness of, sure. of even, think of men. I mean, that personify this, this macho, well, you know, yeah. they should have yeah. known better or that wasn't really <clears throat> hurtful to them and yeah. uh, they'll get over it, rub some dirt in it and walk it off. Sure. 
I really believe that, uh, as in all these disciplines, it's a means to an end. And for us to come clean with our sins and our bad habits and the way we live our lives, we have to come to God and come clean. And to do that, we have to give up other things. We have to make room for God to do that. I'm reminded of a little story, and I'm not sure where I read this, but bear with me just a second. You're walking along the beach, and you find an old treasure chest. And you open it up, and it's full of sand. And now suppose someone else comes along and said, Hey, I've got all this gold. I'll be happy to give it to you to put in your chest. But the chest is full. It's full of sand. So you have a choice to make. Do you want the gold or do you want the sand? So to make room for the gold, you have to empty the sand out of the chest. That's the whole idea about what we have to do. We have to empty ourselves. We have to get rid of this sin to make the promise of God and his abundance in our lives come true. Because if we don't make room for him, how in the world can he live up to his promises? How can, how can we accept God's forgiveness if we're not willing to empty ourselves of that pride and that macho-ness that hey, I'm, I didn't do anything wrong or I don't think that was sin? And yeah. there's no room for that. And then there's no room for us to forgive other people. Yeah. I mean, it all starts with the heart of God. When Jesus died on the cross and he said, it is finished, that was the culmination of the sacrifice needed for that forgiveness for all people. And to see that we fill ourselves with so many rationalizations and so many excuses, well, you just don't know what that person did, or you don't know how that hurt. Um, You know, I I get the idea that on the receiving end, because I've been many times on the receiving ends of being hurt, that it's, it's hard to accept someone's forgiveness. But this is not about accepting someone's forgiveness. This is about someone that you have hurt and someone that you have offended in one way or another. And you going to, and, and saying, look, I messed up. I, if you will, sinned. I want to confess this to you. And interestingly, that word confess when it's used in the, in the New Testament is homilageo, which literally means it, it's used in 1 John 1, 9 and several other places. If um, talking about confessing that God is faithful and just and will cleanse us and, and uh, from all unrighteousness. It's a very interesting word that means literally speak the same. To speak the same. In other words, if I offend you, Tommy, if I've hurt you, If I never get to a point where I don't agree with the fact that I have hurt you, if I never think that I have hurt you, then all of my confessions and my admittance mean nothing because I have, I, I am still standoffish. I have not admitted what you called hurt and I have not embraced that. Maybe it's because of a lack of love, pride, a lack of humility or whatnot, but it all centers around to speak the same. When God says, if you confess your sin, that means I have to call sin, sin. What God calls sin, I have to call sin. If I cross that line, if I miss the target, then to confess means to say, you know what, God, 
I did mess up in this specific area. Forgive me. Restore that relationship. Cast me not away, as Psalm one thirty, uh, Psalm fifty one says. Cast me not from Thy presence. Create in me this new heart. That's right. What kind of heart? A heart that re- is ready, empty, and willing to receive God's love, so that we can send it all out to the next person and those around us. Just think, John, of the little bitty things that we do in the normal course of our lives that we might say something that might be hurtful to someone, but not really realize it. And then later on, we'd say, wow, I probably shouldn't have said that. And we pick up the phone or we meet them again and say, hey, John, please forgive me. I shouldn't have said what I did. And when you say that, you have confessed your sin to John, and John says he can either has the choice to forgive you or not. But how, how much better do you feel that you've emptied that, you realize that you made a mistake, that you were callous in what you said, that it was hurtful? If we can get to the place to put the pride aside and to empty ourselves before God in a humble, specific way, then the freedom that we enjoy and the abundance of blessings that he has promised us will come. I think it's an important note to clarify, just jumping off of what you said, that forgiveness and confession are not the same thing. Confession is asking for forgiveness, right? All right. To confess something is to admit that you've done something wrong. But forgiveness that leads to reconciliation, Mm -hmm. that's not on us. That's right. That's not on us. But like you said earlier, it does open us up. It does clean out those dark areas that, that we are in bondage to and built walls around us. We become callous to, to receive the forgiveness from God and to move on. Exactly. We do, Tommy, live in a broken world. It's sinful. It's antithetical to God in many, many ways. And so we live into this, this, the curse of sin every day, that sinful nature that's in us. If God knows everything about us, why do we try to hide from him? That's a good question. Because I, I think the same thing about my wife. I mean, she knows me. <laughs> <laughs> she knows. And that's so true. Be I mean, careful, John. I know. But really, a very simple factor God knows everything about us, past, present, and future. So why in the world do we want to hide from him? So answer the question. i got to know, why do we do that? It's just humanity. It's a natural life. It's a natural way of doing things. We are so consumed with this false sense of who we are that we won't let anybody else in. We're big, we think we're bigger than we actually are. We do, we do, and we think we're smarter than we are. And <laughs> we always go back to sometimes we play God. We think we're smarter than he is. But, but I think we really have to think about who created the universe. Who created me and you and everybody else? 
it's just amazing that we go to these limits to protect ourselves against the eventual aspect that God knows it. All he's doing is asking us to come. I knock at the door. Please open it up. You know, I stand here and I want to give you this abundant life. But you have to clean up. You have to clean out some room for me. Because we we know that our bodies are the temple, the holy temple. So do you think he wants to reside in a messy, cluttered temple? I don't believe so. So why do we hold back? That's that is a, a, a fundamental, simple question, yet it's so hard to answer. I know. It, it's like the the kingdom of God is so different than we could ever imagine. I mean, the disciples didn't even get it. The disciples' mothers didn't even get it. The disciples, even after the resurrection, didn't get it. I, I, you know, and so I give myself a little permission when I don't understand the kingdom of God. At least, um, um, you know, we're trying to understand it more. But at the same time, God gives us our own kingdoms of influence. And one of the ways that we hold so tight on the reins of power and control over someone else is the offering of a confession. Right. If deep inside, I know I hurt Tommy and by what I said or what I did. Maybe I took a, uh, a, a key and scratched his car and, and did it out of malicious. Don't do that. Don't, don't, don't key his car. <laughs> um, but if I rationalize and say, well, you deserved it, I have minimalized your hurt. And then the cycle never ends. At some point, the cycle has to end of retaliation. The cycle has to end when it comes to the, the conflicts between us. And I believe out of the model of Christ's love, the heart of God that is not out of anger, we channel that into that and we confess our wrongdoing, not as a way to twist and manipulate someone else to confess back why they never confessed their sin to me they never confessed that back to me i think it has to do with that kingdom of influence that we do not want to let up on we don't want to let go because that's a powerful place to be i can control somebody that's right but we're not in control you know it's interesting in the latter part of his this chapter he talks about his diary of confession his own confession where he said I took my adolescent years, and he asked God to point out to him anything that he did wrong. And he wrote, he wrote it down and just left it and went on to the adult years. And then he compiled all this and went to a brother to confess. You know, that's a powerful move that he made. And I just wonder if maybe we all should think about doing something like that. Not to beat ourselves up or self-condemnation about things like that, but to cleanse and to allow God to transform us because he wants to. I remember in that story that Richard was writing about, his, his friend took his list and tore, tore it up. If I feel distant from somebody, a good friend, a family member, if I feel distant, maybe through the process of that self-examination, 
Maybe I need to just see. Maybe I did offend. Maybe I did hurt. And of course, the the caution is, is if you do too much self-examination, if you do that too long, he warns that you might move into this self-condemnation. Right. right. So you got to be careful. Read this chapter on um, the discipline of confession uh, to get yeah. the broader aspect here. But to, to at least see, did I do, am I sorry for it? Am I really, it, does it hurt me that I hurt somebody else? Because there's that distance, that broken relationship. And sure. I think there's also this need to say, man, do I feel distant from God? It's not like well, I've heard many times like he's moved and, you know, it's not like that. Or maybe I moved or whatnot, but I don't think we can move away from God. I think God just by nature is, you know, surrounding us. But I don't think our antenna are receiving. Our antenna are not up. We're not tuned to the right frequency. And a lot of times if we feel that distance, maybe maybe there's something as, as uh, Foster goes through here is does that process. Because he was at a place in his, his Christian work where he just felt like he wasn't, he was missing something. Don't pass those up. And he went through this process of my adolescent years, my er, you know, uh, early adulthood, and, and just try to say, okay. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says he goes through the Ten Commandments said, God, where have I taken another graven image? Where have I uh, coveted? Where have I lied? Where have I murdered? Uh, hopefully not physically, but we've murdered someone's sure. identity and character. Where sure. have I done that? And he would go through, that was a daily process that he would go through. And I love that. I yeah. love hearing that. Yeah. And Foster, this is interesting that he says, Lord, is there more you want to bring into my life? And what's blocking the flow of your power? Please reveal it to me. What are the barriers in our lives that we have erected that need to be torn down to let the presence of God in our daily lives come into being? That's why we've got to make room for God. We've got to get rid of these things. And that's where your confession comes, is to present it, as, as you so eloquently said, present it to God in a way that's humble and sincere. I guess the question for us all is, are we willing to allow God's kingdom to conquer our kingdom? If we're unwilling to confess and call sin, sin, or offense, offense, as God calls it, then we will never allow the kingdom of God to conquer our kingdom. And if I never do that for somebody else, to allow myself an open window, a crack in the wall, to allow someone in, forgiveness, reconciliation, it'll never happen. And it will affect not only our relationships, but it will affect our walk with God. Absolutely. Um, John Wesley, who Richard Foster quoted, talked about the power of confession and the power of desiring God. He said, give me 100 preachers who fear nothing but sin and desire nothing but God. Such alone will shake the gates of hell and set up the kingdom of heaven on earth. We want to thank you for joining us today. Our prayer is that God would continue to shower you with his grace, his mercy, his presence, and to remind you 
that you don't have to carry your burden any longer. May God hold you in the palm of his hand. God bless.